No, sorry. I got to start again. Sure. That was really weird. I wanted to call Fox Archer. You can call me Archer. No, but like, yeah, it's not your name. Yeah, like, we can work with that. Hello, listener, and welcome to the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Here today, with three munchlaxes set to the Berserker class and going to take on X-Death the hard way, it's Fox Lee. You believe love can bloom even on the battlefield? Unlocking X-Dance at 999 ability points, it's Jeb Branch. Love can bloom on the battlefield. And believing that love is a battlefield, I'm Talon Lee. So, yeah, Final Fantasy V Fiesta. We're going to talk about that a bit. Um, but as a matter of formality, hey, Fox, what have you been Hyrule Warriorsing? <laughs> I just want to say, love can definitely bloom on the battlefield because I play Fire Emblem and that is the only place love can bloom. Oh, God, yeah. <laughs> if it's not blooming there, you're fucked. <laughs> Your battlefield needs to be properly cultivated and composted so love can optimally bloom. <laughs> Well, you have to prune love, <laughs> you know, to, to make sure it doesn't get hampered by old girl. Yeah, this has gone to a weird place. <laughs> uh, I've been Hyrule Warriors in some Hyrule Warriors, uh, and it's been very Hyrule Warriors. Speaking of metaphors going to a weird place, uh, someone was suggesting getting me to write some erotica for a... Uh, uh, role playing setting they have, and they said, "Here is the trimmed for edit sign. It's flashing." <laughs> and she said, "You see, here's my plan. I get talent to write the porn, then I become a porn lord." It's like, hang on, <laughs> I write the porn. Wouldn't that be the <laughs> porn lord? Wouldn't I be? No, no, you're a porn surf, and I'm the porn lord. And then there's a porn <laughs> revolution, and I get porn beheaded. <laughs> that went to a weird place. <laughs> Let me replace you with a porn president. <clears throat> we cannot. We cannot have a porn gap. Or now, they, does uh, this make the edit? That's the question. <laughs> or they, uh, they they go for a constitutional... Uh, pornography? Pornocracy, and uh, instead replace you with a porn prime minister. Though, ultimately, I would be the real power because I would be the porn governor general. <laughs> Ahem. And hey, Jeb, what have you been playing lately? I have been playing White Mage, Black... White Mage, Black Mage, Thief... Bard. That's pretty <laughs> rad. That's a very utility-sounding party. Well, uh, it is somewhat utility. <laughs> I don't have much. I don't have much physical attacking at all. Ah, yes. Yes, hence. Uh, hence but utility. I can't die, and I. But I can't die, and I do things from orbit. So. <laughs> <laughs> Go team, cleric. You am the black mage. You cast the spells that makes the men's fall down. And cast the spells that makes the young girls cry. Ah. And meanwhile, Second Sanchiro is singing merrily, and all of the enemies <laughs> just stop in their tracks. Um, oh, we... God, and before you get to name everyone, don't yeah. you? No, <laughs> just, just the main character. Oh, only the main character? Ah. I played Timeline recently, which I know I've mentioned before, but Timeline is an amazing little game because the core concept behind it is really simple. You get, everyone has cards, so it's a card game, so hopefully Jeb's on board, uh, where your cards have one side indicating a thing and the other side is that thing and the year it was made and by whom. And you're meant to arrange them in order of when they got made. And so you can basically, it's a really simple mechanic. It's, it's, you know, kid level simple where there's a row of cards. You get to put your card anywhere on that row. Hopefully you're right. 
and the thing that I was not expecting with this, I was expecting, because we got the Adventures Editions, I was really expecting to get a host of uh, options that were things like, yeah, the invention of the phonograph, the invention of the hypodermic needle, the invention of blue jeans and whatnot. Possibly somewhat Western-skewed. Yeah, somewhat Western-skewed. What I wasn't expecting were things like the Antithchiron device. I wasn't <laughs> expecting... What the heck is that? It, it's basically, it's an ancient Greek computer for observing the stars. Oh, right. Made with gears. Yeah. That was an avatar. <laughs> I didn't know that was real. Yeah. Awesome. Well, astrolabes are also quite old. Now, the Antithyron device is basically like a little handheld thing you turn with a crank. Anyway, um, the, the development of ceramics, the creation of... Oh, the brick. I the remember brick. seeing that one. Yeah. <laughs> when was the brick invented? <laughs> we're sitting there looking at a card that just says, the invention of bricks. And we're like, well, <laughs> well... <laughs> I'm looking at it going, surely that's just a square piece of stone. <laughs> yeah. Then uh, I got told. But here's the other thing. When did someone decide to put a square piece of clay on top of another square piece of clay? That's the question. Well, that was my mistake because it, like a brick is apparently it has to be a compound. Yeah. Uh, like a, you know, baked, fired, crafted thing rather than just like a, a stone brick isn't technically a brick. Yeah, by the way, don't, don't play this game with an engineer whose surname is Mason. <laughs> <laughs> but the other thing is, it also has in it specific movements of rock and roll. So there are things like the doors ah. end. Sorry, the end by the doors. And um, Frank Zappa's first album. <laughs> I was going to say, you wouldn't want to put the doors end in a game for teenagers. Yeah, so like, wow. The only problem I can see with that game is that it's probably... I assume there's like a kiddier kind of version for younger kids. Um, but it seems to me like it's pitched somewhere in the late tweens, early teens kind of period. Just probably where they're gonna go this reeks of education, take it away. Possibly. It, the game is definitely pitched at young kids, uh, but they have expanding editions. They've mentioned that they have, for example, the diversity edition. They have... <laughs> I do want to get that, and it's going to depress the fuck out of me. <laughs> the main problem I see with the diversity edition is they're going to have to specify where every one of these events happen, because that you know there, there's not a global period where it's like, well, racism is, racism is over now. Good stuff. <laughs> really good show. There's, a, there's also a military history one, and it's like specific brands of tank. <laughs> like, there's a certain type of kid who's going to love the heck out of that. <laughs> yes, your friend named Talon's kids. <laughs> Talon's not very big into military history. I'm just. I just meant the game in general. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's fair. This, this game is. I, I really like how this game works. It's a wonderful, simple, elegant set of mechanics. I also like that they have kind of a neat steampunk time travelery female mascot who looks sort of like Elizabeth from Bioshock Infinite, but without any of her baggage. <laughs> she escaped and went to a good game. <laughs> <laughs> the Final Fantasy V Fiesta is on it's going on it's happening and we are in this case me and jeb and apparently some other people are playing final fantasy 5 until i believe it's the end of august until the end of august yes i am not taking part because while it would be interesting to play final fantasy 5 myself for the first time i don't feel that i'm up to the challenge where you only get four class three classes four Four classes on my first playthrough. Of yeah, the game. I would not recommend you your first try. That said, I would definitely recommend you 
try the game during this period, just as a matter of, you know, part of the spirit of the game. I've missed out on a lot of classic games, and I should probably try them at some point. In fact, maybe I should even let's play them, because it's it's always interesting to see a person experiencing a mm. a classic that you know very well for the first time, and, uh, you know, so much later than its actual time period where it belonged. Final Fantasy V is... I joked about this. Where I said it's like the Dark Souls of its generation, in that there are <laughs> nerds who will never shut up about it. That's fair. That's me. So f- first things first, um, listener, because we know you really care about when we do this sort of thing. Very brief outline of the history of the Final Fantasy series is that the series kicked off when Square were convinced that they were going to go under. <laughs> so the very last thing they wanted to make their Final Fantasy game, they they made what was at the time a sort of very low systems, low budget, low art assets game designed to just put a, an RPG out there as their swan song. And because of a whole bunch of technical constraints and a whole bunch of shortcuts they did to make sure that they could actually make the game, they wound up accidentally making a really fantastically fun game for the time. It was a type of game that just didn't exist. They effectively... It was their Dragon Quest knockoff. It wasn't quite inventing the RPG, but it was a type of game that there wasn't a lot of. I was about to say, there was. you almost had fight words there. <laughs> Went a long way towards codifying the JRPG. Yes, menu-based combat, class-based character construction. D&D as fuck. Yeah, D&D as fuck, yeah. <laughs> Well, that, that's one of the interesting things about the distinction between JRPGs and Western RPGs is for the most part, they do both flow from the existence of tabletop RPGs. Yeah, yeah. You, uh, you get very little of JRPGs drawing from, uh, Eastern mythology. JRPGs as a game type at the time required very little in the way of system, which meant that a lot of Japanese developers who, interestingly enough, started in visual novels and eroge wound yeah. up doing early JRPG structures in their games because it's very mathy, very simple turn-based stuff. Well, the, uh, you know, the the basics for conversation and, and character portraits and all that kind of thing you would already be skilled at if you were doing Aroge. Yeah, and this meant that when that wave of expanded storage space came out with the NES and then later with the SNES, there was already a sort of high production value visual element to these things. Like Final Fantasy IV, you don't think of it as looking particularly good, and then you look at just the sheer number of art assets in that game. Well, for, you know, for the time, very impressive. Mm -hmm. Like they blew a whole sprite on changing the main character, and that sprite had to have almost all the animations. It's like the... Six is, you know, still amongst the best looking uh, Mm. 16-bit games. Yeah. Thanks to slightly taller sprites. Yep. (laughs) And mode seven. Don't forget mode seven. Having worked on sprites, it is really impressive how much more detail you can cram in with a few extra pixels of height. Yeah. Because the whole, you know, area increases. Yeah. I'm going to stop talking about this. It's very boring. Well, there's there's some deep wizardry involved in (laughs) Final Fantasy VI, but in five, you have a much smaller cast, much more limited set of mechanics, but they took the idea of character-based class mechanics, like Polum and Porum, for example, having twin in Final Fantasy IV. That sort of stuff just doesn't exist. Characters do not have unique to that character mechanics visible. There are some very hidden ones uh but basically the mechanics in final fantasy 5 are much more under your control as a player does it uh does it have the same problem as the class changing fire emblems in that the characters still in dialogue and whatnot have an awareness of their default state no no that's nice the the characterization in Final Fantasy V is another thing which I think it does really well in that it's very subtle. It is very understated 
and very <laughs> uh, it, it, minimalist. I I I, I reluctant to use the word minimalist in any game that you can sink you know two hundred hours into. But there is hey, there's definitely out. Uh, excuse me, line. <laughs> yeah, good point. <laughs> good point. <laughs> yeah, the the game is really impressive in how many of the things about characterization and whatnot are done either as background elements or as incidental elements in other things. You can the the storytelling of Final Fantasy V may be a little simple. Like a lot of the story tropes are kind of just very. Yeah. It codified some stuff. It wound up using a bunch of other stuff that was already codified, but it still worked really tightly. <laughs> it was by the numbers fantasy RPG. Yeah. It's not trying to be anything but. And a predictable storyline doesn't hurt you all that much if you have interesting play and interesting characters. Mm. And it seems to have both of those quite well. Mm-hmm. And it's... Uh, I will be honest, though. I'm pretty sure at, at, the, at the time of uh, when it was new, I don't think a whole lot of people saw the bad guy as a tree coming. New, that was definitely. <laughs> Especially because that was the early 90s when environmentalism and, you know, save the trees, hug the trees was actually being leaked into games very widely. Like, Sonic the Hedgehog was a pro-environmentalism game, by the words of the creators. Oh, yeah, I'm not arguing with that. I, just, I, I don't know about widely. Captain Planet and the Planeteers got made. It was a cartoon, not a video game. I'm just it saying. It probably had a video game tie-in, but... It, it was certainly did. <laughs> Given that none of us are talking about that. <laughs> yes, this Sons of Crusaders had a video game tie-in at the time. Yeah. <laughs> Echo the Dolphin had a bit of an environmental message, but I think it was more about aliens, if I recall correctly. Echo the Dolphin did. Well, Echo the, Echo the Dolphin is named after a series of or, uh, experiments done or research done on dolphin, dolphins communicating with aliens from the past. <laughs> wow, okay. I, that I is literally what it's named after. The games. That's Good literally what the game is named after. This is one of the things that um, environmentalism, for certainly people of our generation, is kind of this background radiation. It's hard to remember that there was a point where people were like, eh, heck with it. And then suddenly all this media came out, which included video games, where in, in Final Fantasy V even has environmental messages in it. It's just that the villain is an evil tree. I, I still don't think video games are particularly heavily laden with environmental messages, even from that period. I mean, you get a lot of, you know, bad guy burns the forest down, but that's usually because the forest is hiding a village full of elves or something. In Final Fantasy V, the bad guy burns the forest down because it's there. <sighs> Was he in the forest to begin with if he's a tree? Mm, no. No, so. not his, it wasn't his tree. No, it's a different tree he was Just at. checking. It's a forest with a catablipus in it, though. <laughs> no, that's not where catablipus is. Nah, it's been a while. Catablipus is underwater. Speaking of D&D is all fuck. Wait, I'm mixing up Catablipus and Shote, aren't I? Shote and Catablipus are the same Jeez. summon. Ah, yeah. Anyway. You might be thinking of the forest later on where you fight Calipasteri. Yeah, I probably am. Anyway. Well, you get to find out sooner or later. Yeah, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> Even if summons are of no interest to me on my run. Are you so, angling to finish the entire game in the uh, Fiesta period? Yes. and I, I, There's I'm, money on that. I'm, I'm planning on only doing it once. I'm not planning on doing like a multiple run thing. In part because one of the things I found I'm enjoying the most with this is playing the game and talking about things like the map design and the character design as I'm doing it. Which means that I do play com somewhat slowly and I have these long grindy bits where I kind of just, you know... I don't stream when I'm just sitting in a forest killing squirrels for an hour. <laughs> So this does Environmental mean I, messages. <laughs> this does mean I, I wind up grossly overleveling bosses uh, and still struggle with them because my first class was white mage. 
Jeb also said White Mage first. Was it your first draw, or...? It was. Uh, so you both and went so through. And <clears throat> so I kind of just cakewalked through everything. <laughs> and I teased Hal about it. Yeah. Well, Jeb's <laughs> better at the game than I am. I guess so. Yeah. I... I... Remember when I played this game, I really loved the character leveling, customizing job system interaction thing, which meant I was often much more about getting some activated abilities or passive abilities to start interacting rather than really getting deeply understanding any of the systems individually. Like, for example, I didn't know that flails worked from the back row, which, given that it's in the description text of the flail, (laughs) shows how much attention I paid. (laughs) Okay, yeah. Uh... You also didn't. You also weren't quite sure where the flail was. Yeah, and you also didn't know where the medical stick was. Knowing I where did. the medical stick is makes fighting Garula a lot easier. Yeah. Now, see, this is exactly why I'm not doing Fiesta. Yeah. As a first playthrough, where the what is and the who's it? Oh, I drew Bard for my first class. Am I fucked? You can't get Bard as a first class. Unfortunately, well, you can in Chaos, but you won't be able to use it. Also, Bard is OP as fuck. Okay. <laughs> You yes. cannot comprehend the power of rock. <laughs> I like the way that... This, this is another element of the design of Final Fantasy V, in that the opening five classes... Five? Six classes? Five. You, you, Six, you, right. Yeah, the first set of classes you get from the Wind Crystal... Oh, they should come in fives. ...are reasonably deep and interesting. They are kind of... You know, you, you get your hands on them and you're like... They're also oh, archetypal. Yeah, there's a knight, there's a white mage, there's a black mage, there's a monk. They're all sort of standard archetypes that you can get your head around easily. And Except, yep, for one, there's an outlier. Mm-hmm. Blue mage. Oh, God. Okay, I know what blue mages kind of do. So, from the perspective of a new player approaching this from out of nowhere, you've just been given five normal classes and one oddball. And that's kind of a really useful learning system. Because you're like, okay, there's gonna, there's an oddball. There is an oddball. And you learn about how to use the normal classes and how to use the oddball class. And then you progress with the plot. And suddenly, the game goes, cool, great. Here are five oddballs and one normal class that you can't really think about much. And they build on each other really excellently. It's evaluating your statement now. Yeah, I, I, I'm getting fact-checked. <laughs> Jeb, footnote me. <laughs> I've... Just checking it. Trying to think what the other ones are. Yeah, I'm remembering... Red Mage, Summoner, Berserker. And I, I was thinking of the Mimic in that batch too, obviously, which you don't get. And that's another area where the game gets clever. In that that's a, that's a literal... That, was, that one's a literal outlier. Yeah, in that it shows you the characters getting these little chunks of crystal, and then it shows you oh, one piece of Mystic crystal Knight. you can't get it. Mystic Knight? Yes. Is that all of them? I think that's all of them. But the point is that you have that that little piece of crystal that's an outlier that you can't physically get to, and then the castle you're in sinks under the waves. Later in the game, you get a submarine, and it doesn't say, hey, you can go find that castle that sunk under the waves. Uh. But you can, and the crystal is there. So in the, like, the last part of the game, you can go and get another class that they had deliberately hid from you, which means that there is this big payoff for this long delay. And this is all the way through the games, like the way that they designed the maps, the fact that you can walk through an area and you will see down the bottom a single chest that's in a kind of remote location and you can tell by the way the map is flowing, you will have to go out of your way to get it. But by making (laughs) sure you are aware of it ahead of time, there is that decision in your mind as you are progressing, do I want to do that? I get this a lot in your adventure games, especially where you have the standard set of items that you expect to get or, uh, like, you know, new power-up. Like, you know, you look at a thing and go, oh, I'll be back for that when I have double jump. 
Now I know I'm going to get double platforms. Yeah, exploratory yeah. platformers work that way. And the same kind of thing with your your Zeldas, where you're like, okay, I'm going to have a hook shot at some point, so I know what that's for. Zelda has the fortune in that it is at this point so codified as Zelda. You will very rarely get permutations, but it does mean that when you're progressing through the early game, they can show you a remote post hanging off a wall, and a part of your brain goes. I'm going to come back to that later. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and this is, you know, true for any uh, any sufficiently concreted series or anything that immediately evokes the the standard set of, um, what am I thinking? Ori, which I was playing recently. Yes. Um, like, every power-up in that is pretty much entirely predictable, but that does work to its advantage in that you're all the way through seeing these areas where you're like, uh, yep, I know what I'm getting to come back for that. To use a particularly um, tonal shift game, Darksiders. Darksiders Darksiders is a Zelda game. Well, it is a Zelda game that's also trying to be a grab bag amalgamation of every game from that period of history. Ugly Macho Zelda game. (laughs) Well, yeah. It's basically a Warhammer 40k Zelda game in visuals. It's also... the, The mechanical grab bag is remarkable. It's got a portal gun. Like... That just the idea of doing a portal gun in a non-portal game. It, they're yeah. red and blue port. Sorry, they're orange and blue portals. It, it has so- a home, it has a homing attack like Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. So it it really is this everything we can think of kind of pooled together. And and you know, despite all that, I managed to get stuck in a room and not able to get out. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. It's not the tightest d- design. I also mm. saved after I got into that room. So I quit playing. Yeah. Damn. The ending isn't particularly (laughs) remarkable, but... Neither (laughs) is the beginning or the middle. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, the ending is pretty straight up. I saw that coming. Yeah. Nonetheless, the point of the... point of bringing it up is that this is a type of game where you expand complexity steadily, and that means that you can then reward players for going back to earlier areas. If you do that well, especially with a good fast travel system or anything that allows the player to re-examine things they already knew, you reward player engagement, and that rewarding of player engagement means that players will be more likely to be more engaged in the future. It works out really well for you. Yes, well, everybody likes to have, you know, hints dropped at them as they play. Yeah. That is essentially what that amounts to. Yeah. Uh, and in the, in the current trend towards heavy tutorializing and, uh, player scope, especially metric driven scope, which is a real problem Portal 2 had, if you remember that, where they, they, they kind of never wanted <laughs> We're you to do not... another portal, but we need to make it bigger this time, I guess. And something. they never wanted to make, sh- they wanted to make sure the player was never not looking at the important thing. The uh, heavy heavy metrics-driven tutorializing type of game means that the players in playtesting get observed and then slowly the designers chip away anything that can distract them from the core engagement point. Valve do this so often. It's why, for the better part, Half-Life and Half-Life 2 are just really pretty corridors. There isn't a lot of backtracking. Bioshock Infinite, for all I made fun of it, it had more backtracking than a Valve game typically does. Well, you know, you don't have to have, but like, this is suitable for some games and not for others, and as long as you know which one you are, you're going to come out of it okay. That's true. Though, thanks to games like Doom and Quake, we had that generation of 
first-person shooters where exploration and backtracking was part of the game. And then you got the much more slick, cinematic, linear experience of Half-Life and Half-Life 2. Some backtracking. I mean, you, you did you couldn't go back to previous levels, could you? No, but most of the levels were designed so that there was a reward for going back and forth right. between them. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, the point is Final Fantasy V is a... You, you can masterclass in this. And because it's a turn-based JRPG, if you have even the most base-level tools like RPG Maker, you can be doing this stuff. You can oh, be borrowing totally. these ideas. Well, I mean, that's what RPG Maker is for, making exactly that cut. Well, okay, minus the the side view battles with animations and stuff, because they realized that uh, providing customizable bits for that was uh, beyond the scope of most people who were just picking that up to fiddle around with. To be fair, though, they did uh, recently release RPG Maker 2003 on Steam, which does have that. does it have does. the side view battle. So that's good. It's a... It, it's a... <sighs> Sorry, like I said, just there's so much stuff in Final Fantasy V that's worth talking about that I just basically trip over new things to bring up while I'm talking about them. So I'm going <laughs> to shut up for just a moment and let anyone else say anything they want about Final Fantasy V, but I'm just going to shut up. Um, I put Faris's costume in a kiss doll at one point. <laughs> what the hell is with the CG art of her compared to the sprite art? Like, I mean, I get that you can't take... Uh, Yoshitaka Amano's art and duplicate it as a sprite. That, that's a really tall order. But this is just a straight up, like, we chose an entirely different design when we made this character in the game. This, who well, is this? I don't know. There's part of that is because hair color is relevant to Final Fantasy V mechanically. <laughs> Wait, what? You can't have a character with silver hair or, you know, the wispy silver hair that every single character Romano draws has. <laughs> No, oh, but she's blonde in the, uh, in the... They CDR. look silver to me. <laughs> Amano really favours silvery, pale hair. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, if you have... Definitely if, blonde. You can't have that in, in Final Fantasy V because that's a status effect. I see. Which is done with a palette swap. Having silver hair. It, okay. You become old. <laughs> and when you are old, your level gradually decreases. Isn't there a character who's already old? 60. Is that... Wait, is, does he just have this? Is this a thing? No, he's... Okay. Gallif is 60 years young. <laughs> he is mighty. He shouts tarnation at things. <laughs> oh, yes. It was I one do of like those the, Final I, Fantasies with interesting translation, wasn't it? With a good localization, yes. <laughs> <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> Ferris talks like Captain Haddock. It's awesome. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> It's much better than the original translate English translation where she just talked like a bad pirate. I like her even more now. <laughs> I have a real soft spot for Tintin. This this was one of my favorite things when I was about twelve. But no, the the hair color thing is relevant, and that's why you don't as far as I can recall, there is no character model, despite how elaborate the job outfits are, every single one, even if they're wearing a big hat and you can't see their face like a black mage, you can still see some of their hair color. <laughs> the task of designing all of those sprites and all of the animations of them is the sort of... <sighs> yeah, well, you can see why they had so few characters. Attention to detail through the roof. Is it a three-party size maximum for actual combat? Or... Four. Four. Four, okay. And there are five playable characters. And for all five of those characters, they have distinctly different animations and styles, even when they are doing identical things. 
Do, well, you, you know, this isn't 3D models. You have to remake the sprites anyway. You might as well give them personality. Yeah. Just just look at the casting sprites in the same classes. For some I think of it's... Them. I, th- I really... I happen to like uh, Lena's... Uh, Lena's cast... Or is her casting sprite or her defending sprite? Where she just looks, like, incredulously offended at whatever's going on. Yes. <laughs> her defended sprite has this sort of angry eyebrow sort of, How dare you? Oh, there was a... I can't remember what I was playing, but there was a game like that where I was... Oh, it, it was uh, Atelier... Um... One of them. Esker and Logi. Right. Um, which has Thraya, Eschatology. Which is why it comes up, because Thraya was... Her, like, blocks for you animation is just like this hair flick, talk to the hand. <laughs> it's quite excellent. That's wonderful. <laughs> With the... Black mages, for example, you can... The characters put their hands in different places when they cast. Like, uh, Butts has them up by his head, Galif has it down by his belly. No, like I said, you have to to redraw the sprites. Yeah. There's, you know, if it was... If you were working with models, if you were working with rigging animations, then it would make sense to reuse them. But if you had to go through the effort anyway, then why would you not just go, okay, how would this character cast? Faris as a mystic knight closes her eyes and looks away from the opponents when she's casting. Because <laughs> Faris is cool. Faris is cool. It's the main reason I would play Final Fantasy V, by the way. I really like Faris. She's rad. So, five characters, party size of four. Do you guys have a standard bench warmer? No, you don't get that option. No? It is actually a, a, a plot point of a oh, thing. Oh, they that take happens. and leave characters for yeah, you at you don't, you don't, Yeah, you don't get the choice. Okay, that's fair enough. I played a bit of, um, well, a decent amount of Four Heroes of Light. Um, and it kind of drove me crazy how often they added or removed any of these four characters from the party. Like,. It, you know, I'd just be starting to get comfortable with someone or getting to like their character a little bit, and then they would vanish, and, you know, you wouldn't get them back for hours and hours of gameplay. It's pretty they, frustrating, really. Final Fantasy V never really takes anyone away too long. Yeah. No, that's uh, good. Usually, some, usually someone will just be taken away long enough because they have to run their kingdom for a little while, because everyone except for Barks is royalty. <laughs> Oh yeah, this this is this is the princess show. The rest of the party is just slumming it. Yeah, you've, well, well, let's see. It's you've got pretty pink princess. You've got pirate princess. You've yeah. got old dad princess, and you have <laughs> old dad's granddaughter princess. You're gonna have to explain old dad princess to me. Oh, Gallif. Well, that that's what you know, he's royalty. <laughs> the only type of royalty that exists is All princess. Royalty right? are princesses. Are Basically. certainly in video games. Yeah, <laughs> and lords. Lord. And then you have and then you have Arts, who's just a hobo. <laughs> Well, he, he can wind up, hypothetically, he could wind up marrying a princess. But again, background details, background storytelling, that is a super subtle relationship that's <laughs> mm-hmm. touched on in places. It's really quite cool. Pemp's sort of reminded of uh, Ike, as in Fire Emblem Ike, who, you know, your Fire Emblem main character is always a lord. That's the, the series term for it. Your lord does this. In this game, the lord is Marth. Whatever. Um and he's not. He's just a schlub. And they actually force the Lord title upon him at a certain point in the game, which is like, yeah, well, I want to help you guys out, but there's no possible way I can commit my army to helping out a peasant, so you're going to have to get titled. And he's like, ah, like, I'm a ranger. <laughs> That's awesome. In, so, Jeb, Fox hasn't played Final Fantasy V, right? And obviously when Fox does wind up playing Final Fantasy V, chances are she'll be making decisions for herself based on things like, oh, that sprite looks cool on that character, I'll give that a try. Because <laughs> that, that's, that's how I started, I know <laughs> no that much. No sissy magic for my Faris. Yeah. 
What would you suggest, just as a sort of a general early strategy of just some stuff to look out for when you play Final Fantasy V for the first time? Uh, you mean, like, just technically, or...? Yeah, just what would you recommend she try out first? Let's think well, in terms of what would stop me from getting really pissed off with it. What are the <laughs> bad decisions? Yes. Uh, depending on how much time you're willing to sink in, there are no bad decisions. <laughs> Actually, this is one of my problems in that I, the reason I am iffy about going near any new JRPGs is because I'm such a completionist and I know that I will sink ridiculous amounts of time into this game if I open that can of worms. Well, um, to put it in perspective, uh, the game has been completed so with a single character of a, any, of each given class by human hands except for Berserker. Berserker is only theoretically possible. Only theoretically it, possible. How it does has that been. Work? It's entirely luck based because you can't control the berserker. Ah. And uh, the the fight against Neo Exed involves uh, attacks which could very simply kill, uh, which can all all right. can kill, auto kill a single character. Yeah. So <laughs> it's hypothetically possible. You have to get lucky. Yeah. Now it's been done with four berserkers. I watched it. Yes. The quad berserker <laughs> one. I, I'm so happy about that. <laughs> That's so kind of fun. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I would be interested in having a diverse party that I felt fit the personalities of the individual characters. Because I'm all, you know, bossy directory like that. Well, I mean, uh, well then you're going to want to have Ferris set towards, like, the, uh, the more utility class. Actually, yeah, the more utility classes because she's the most balanced uh, character stats. And keep in mind, the character stats differ by, like, one or two. Yeah. So yeah. it really doesn't matter. That's nice. But, but if you are going to, you know, Ferris, slather on classes like that. Ferris is going to, you're, you're, you'll want to make her, you know, a thief, a ninja, maybe a bard. <laughs> Have we talked about how Final Fantasy V is almost more like a Western RPG than JRPG? It's... It, it has a nice hybrid of the two models. Uh, Final Fantasy VI is the one that just flat out says, uh, okay... We've done the JRPG part of this game. Now it's a Western RPG. Knock yourself out. <laughs> well, yeah, but it's still very, uh, you know, fixed character kind of game. And... Yeah, whereas Final Fantasy V, you do have the JRPG linear plot structure. You do have the JRPG very threaded plot as well. But the world exploration and the the way your classes interact with themselves yeah, I, is much more Western RPG. I was thinking also, mostly about character building when I say this, because most yeah. JRPGs I've played don't have much of a mechanical character building element. Well, also, uh, the end of Fun Fifth, the, the third world, is very reminiscent, of, especially of recent Western RPGs. Yeah. Uh, you, uh, the, 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 the final world, the final section of, or not the final section, the final world of Final Fantasy V, um, you, you literally are gathering resources from around the globe to make your final assault on the bad guy. Yep. And you can do it in any order. That's one of the big things about it. No, you can't. Well, not quite. You get the templates. <laughs> but- <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm thinking about the order you unlock the, the weapons. You can unlock the weapons in any order. I've seen a yeah. decent amount of them. But you can go to uh, you can go to the void. You can go to the end game anytime you want. Ah, you don't right. have to get. You don't have to, you don't have to unlock all the, the the weapons. You only have to unlock three of the legendary weapons. Yeah, actually, this is a thought. Um, do, does this game have multiple endings? No. Yes. Really? 
It certainly does. The <laughs> ending changes. Go to nerds for advice, for they will tell you both. No, no, no. And Talon will probably be wrong. Yeah, that's true. I'm wrong a lot. Ta- Talon is wrong in this one. Uh, the ending changes based on who is alive at the end of the oh, final fight. Yes. Oh. It's a subtle change. That's a bit of a swine. Well, I think I can be defended for remembering that as not really. <laughs> not like a big bad change, right? Like, not like no. if you're not resurrected in the final fight, you're actually dead. You are, sort of. <laughs> <laughs> but you uh, you get better. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. And you don't get the little, you know, glimpse of what you've been doing since then. Because <laughs> oh. you've been dead. Okay, that is really bad. Ouch. But you come back to life and ride across the land on Chocobos. That's cruel. Um, well, the, the, whole thing, the, thing, the whole thing, the whole thing, the whole thing is if Kryl is alive at the end and Barts is alive, Kryl writes a letter to Barts. If not, if Kryl isn't alive, Ferris writes the letter. If they're not alive, Lena writes the letter. Who? If none of them are alive, Barts, I think, is just talking to himself. <laughs> And then if Barts is dead... It's it's a translation thing. That is a name I've never heard. I've heard of everyone else in this game, but I don't recognize that. (laughs) Gallus' granddaughter. Oh, oh right, that would be why. Yep. Mary Sue. (laughs) (laughs) Still, I'm glad they didn't... I'm glad they choose something instead of Carly. Anyway, uh... It doesn't match the other names. Uh, I can't remember what how it works out. If I think if Barts is dead, then the letter is being written to, to Lena, but I could be wrong. But anyways, the, the whole letter writing and the, the ending does change based on who's alive at the, at the, in, the, in the end fight. That's pretty cold. Well, it's a nice touch, but also you get they come back to life. Well, yeah, no, it's just cold because it's like, yeah, we pretty much want you to spend time resurrecting people who've been planted <coughs> in the last fight. Yeah. Well, the thing is, uh, part of the, the, the ending is that the, 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 the warriors of light are trying to escape from the void and they're Using all their strength, all, as much strength as they have, to undo all the the damage that ex, that Neo, that the Void and the Exodus have caused. And if you are unconscious at the end of the fight, if you're knocked out during the fight or at the end of the fight, they don't have the strength to get up after they've pushed themselves as far as they can to save the world. It's really dramatic, and I like it. Yeah, it's a it, it is a game that rewards you for depth of mastery, and that even shows up in the... <laughs> that much I can tell. And the thing that really amazed me about it was when I realized that there were bosses in that game that when you beat them, just gave you a little token. Like, they literally just gave you a thing that says you beat this boss. That doesn't do anything. Well, it's like just bragging rights. Yes. <laughs> Omega and Shinryu. Yes. I would make fun of that, but I'm collecting Skulltellers. Yeah. And they're optional bosses. Like one of them is actually literally a sprite that waddles yeah. around in the world map, and you can you have to walk up to it to get into a fight with it. Huh. In the last dungeon, yeah. The other one is in a treasure box. <laughs> Omega is uh, it falls easily to the power of rock, <laughs> and Shinryu can be preserved. You do need a lot of raw power to power through them both, though. They're quite. They're, no, you don't. <laughs> they are going to surprise the hell out of you the first time you play yeah. that game. They you need a bard. Them. You need a bard or the. Or, and the power staff. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, see, I'm, I'm hearing what Talon is saying, and I'm hearing Jeb saying, but mastery. Yeah, basically. And as we know, Jeb already has lots of butt mastery. <laughs> hey Jeb's a qualified booty mancer. <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. Anyway, right, okay. So yeah, Final Fantasy V 
is a deep, wonderful, interesting, expansive game. Chances are next week we will be talking more about it because Jeb will be making fun of me because of the stuff I did wrong. <laughs> okay. Have either of you been playing anything else this week? And now it's time for Retro Gaming News. All the news that's fit for it for the year of 1992. Brought to you by three-sided flip cards. What do you mean you're not playing in four-dimensional space? 1992, a year that is four numbers arranged in that particular order in which video games were made and released. A year like no other. All right. And this one, mercifully, we have a wonderfully sleek, elegant, you know, just just straight top down all the way through the year. All right. What got released? Whole bunch of stuff got released. Isn't this when the SNES came out in North America? SNES came out in North America. (laughs) Yes. Well... Which console was it? The SNES came out. The Amiga became the leading uh, personal computer in Europe. The Atari 2600 was discontinued. It was a year of many things. (laughs) First things first, we have a franchise video game, or rather a video game tie-in to a movie franchise. Uh, This is a SNES game? This is not a SNES game. Okay. It's good. (laughs) The look I just got. I don't believe him. Do you believe him? I don't believe him. A good game that's a movie tie-in. Is it a live-action movie tie-in? It is a live-action movie tie-in. What was that, Jeb? Is it Willow? No, not Willow. I don't know if it's the right production company either. Did that get a video game? I fucking love that movie. Willow got a video game. It's kind of like a Zelda-y thing. It's good. All right. It's on the NES. Yeah, Willow is a good game. Get me some of that. Mm -hmm. All right. Uh, Is it... There was a Back to the Future, wasn't there? Uh, you're definitely in the right. You're definitely in the right era of, as it were, classic cinema. The, the games were bad. Were the bad game, the, the games of the Back to the Future games were pretty rubbish. <laughs> oh, okay. No, this is a legitimately. This is a good. T- how about this? This game is legitimately good, even if you don't like the movies. <laughs> the uh, the Star Wars games were pretty much all rubbish in those days, though, right? Not they all took of them. Them a while to get good. Some no. of them were good. Some of them okay. were good. You're in the right production company now, though. No. Uh, sure, Box. it's not Willow. <laughs> it's not Willow, but it is a Lucasfilm game. <laughs> um, fuck, what else did Jurassic Park? make? Not Jurassic oh, Park. Oh, is it Indiana Jones? It is an Indiana Jones game. Indiana oh. Jones and the Fate of Atlantis. Was that? What, what was that on then? That was a PC game in 1992. Okay. PC Adventure game, right? Here I'm thinking like older than SNES, whereas <laughs> I should have been thinking just broader than SNES. <laughs> yeah. Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which is a amazingly deep point-and-click adventure game. Yeah, it's very well-regarded, isn't it? What did you say? There's, like, three different ways to play. Like, you can play as Indy or the uh, the counterpart character, and either of them can take the other character along or shun their help. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. Effectively, you have a matrix of four different ways to start that game, and you also have, I think it's four different endings that you can have for each of those. It's... But it is also notable for having one of the better examples of a kiss in video games at the time, mm-hmm. in that she actually, like, signals him permission. Oh, that's nice. Which is, I know that's such a silly thing to, like, oh, hey, check mm-hmm. it out. That was- hey, you saved me. Your reward would be a kiss. No, it's like, she, I th- she grabs his tie. No, his tie <laughs> shirt. Anyway. <laughs> Indiana Jones in a tie. What's wrong with you? <laughs> uh, also has cr- cripplingly hard puzzles just ah <laughs> oh. 
I haven't played a whole lot of the genre, but I have the impression it's pretty unusual for a point-and-click to have multiple endings in the first place. Multiple endings, yeah, you'll occasionally get ones where there's, like, some variance in the ending, but the fact that there are multiple paths through the game wholesale is the really Mm -hmm. remarkable thing. Like, every single puzzle has multiple solutions. I I was just thinking, like, endings as well. Like, at at best, like, a line of dialogue that varies or something, but... Yeah. I don't think I've ever seen a point-and-click with distinctly different endings. Uh, your, your text-based things, your more RPG-ish kind of adventure game, sure. Yeah. Apart from things like bad endings versus good endings. Yeah. Yeah, true. Yeah. Um. <laughs> like the person who's mostly played Lucasfilm adventure games. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the Sierra games often had multiple endings as well. So yeah, there, there definitely was a thing for multiple Yeah, they endings. did start doing point-and-clicks after a while, didn't they? Yeah. <laughs> Eventually. Yep. All right, then. It's not a PC game. It's a SNES game. It's Super Mario World. Sort of a platformer, but not really. You've got a lot of freedom of movement. Not really, huh? Regarded well um, as a um, franchise. Non-human protagonist. Huh. Most of them at that point. Is there a Gargoyles quest on SNES? It's been mentioned in this podcast already. Not really a platformer. That's what not I'm stuck on. Really? Like, it's an exploration game? It's Zelda? Oh, platformer Is it a Zelda? Elements. It's, it's a not Metroidvania. A it's not... I don't know if I'd call it a Metroidvania. Um... Hmm. Hmm. <coughs> you know what the best thing would be if we were talking about a Metroid or Castlevania game and you're going, don't know if I'd really call it a Metroidvania <laughs> as we've de- defined the term especially since, Especially since, you know, Super Castlevania. <laughs> Is it Super Castlevania? No, it's not Super Castlevania. No. It's... Super Metroid certainly falls into that jurisdiction. Yeah. Is it a Mega Man X game? No, but in the note of um, in the note of Metroid, aliens are involved in the plot. <laughs> um, oh, Bubsy. Okay. Wait, Echo. It is Echo the Dolphin. That's not even vaguely a platformer. How do you well, no, it's got that. that it, it's got. Wait, that. I thought you said it was an SNES game. Oh shit! Yeah, it's it's a. Oh yeah, you fucked up. I fucked up. Yep. Yep, Echo the Dolphin is not a SNES that game. That is Sega, son, and you are not allowed in the I Sega think we just found our. I think we just found our episode title. Yep. <laughs> Talon did not have any consoles when he was Wii. Yes, it's true, it's true. They were things that were, you know, public media. Possessed by the devil. Yeah. Whereas like we just Cabbage didn't have dolls. Nintendo consoles. Yeah. Alright, this is def- I, I am sure, I'm confident that this is a Nintendo game. <laughs> By the way, don't say shit like it's not really a platformer. It's not even vaguely a platformer. Well, yeah. It is an exploration game. There is by definition no platforming because you're a fucking dolphin. <laughs> well, you cannot jump platform. Yeah, there, there is a, there's a point in, there's points in Echo where you have to jump out of the water and over obstacles. Yes, so but that, that is was... not platforming. <laughs> Fair enough. That's, if that is platforming, then side-scrolling shooters, like spaceships, are platforming, and they're just not, okay? I'm not, I'm not gonna argue that R-Type is a platformer, I'm definitely not. Yes. Okay, um. Okay, in but Parodius, yes. very comparable to a side-scrolling spaceship shooter. Nonetheless, we have definitely, definitely a Nintendo <laughs> title. Stop playing with things that make noise in front of the microphone, what am I doing? Bubsy. Not Bubsy. <laughs> Bubsy was a SNES game? Okay, cool. Right. Yes, Bubsy was. <laughs> Uh, I looked some of these up before. It's gonna be I said, Rocket Knight, isn't it? Which is also a Sega game. No, this is def like I. It is hard for me to be more confident. This is a game that is still getting releases regularly. SimCity. The no. same game or the same franchise? The same franchise. Okay. Sequels. Sequels of the Super game. Mario. Direct World. sequels. Super what? Super Mario World. Close. Super Mario Kart. Yes. 
First release of Super Mario Kart in 1992. Did they? Wasn't Super Mario Kart to begin with, and they dropped the Super eventually? Mm-hmm. It's called Super Mario Kart. I guess so. I was asking Jeb because I thought he'd know. Yeah, because I, I, I said yes. Said yes. <laughs> I said yes. Thank you. Jeb. It went from Super Mario Kart to Mario Kart 64. Right, that's what I thought. All right. Then. Full disclosure: I am fucking horrible at Mario Kart. Full disclosure: the best Mario Kart is Sonic. Uh, Sonic uh, transformed. <laughs> transformed. No, the best Mario Kart was Wacky Wheels. Because you could throw a hedgehog at people. <laughs> wacky Wheels is pretty great, but Oh my god, no you both know Wacky Wheels. Wacky Wheels was awesome. <laughs> I was making an obscure reference and you'd both be like, what the hell are you talking about? What platform was Wacky Wheels on? PC, good point. Yeah. Okay. It's PC Shareware, of course they're going to know it. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Alright, moving along. Okay. We have a game that was modified for its Australian release. Uh, Mortal Kombat. Mortal Kombat, there we go. <laughs> Wasn't yep. that on last retro game? That was news? Mortal Kombat 2. Oh, well. <laughs> Substantially different. <laughs> yes. Mortal Kombat 2, where they, re- where they repainted all the blood to white, so you punched the cum out of people. But it's exactly the joke I made last time. Mortal Kombat 1, they repainted it green. So, so everyone was an alien. Oh, then you were punching the snot out of people. Yes. <laughs> awesome. I didn't realize the joke I made last time had even more application to this time. Continuing the theme of censorship, this is a game that wasn't released in Australia because of high-level controversy around video game violence. Syndicate? No. Doom? No. I'm thinking of the newer Syndicate, aren't I? Yeah, you're thinking of the newer Syndicate. Uh, This game was not on the PC. Strictly about violence was the concern? Sexual violence. Hmm. The game was an FMV adventure game. Oh, uh... Was it Snatcher? Not Snatcher. It's it's Night something or other. Like, horror killing girls in a sleepover. Night Trap. Night Trap, that was it. Was that a SNES? I thought that was a Sega CD thing. Oh, yeah, Sega That's CD. That's Sega CD. It was a, plat- it was a console game. They're all... <laughs> They're not interchangeable! The That's point- an entirely different media! <laughs> <laughs> Which, like, extra nobody... Like, there wouldn't have been any point releasing that in Australia anyway, because no one owned a Sega CD! Well, the greater point is that... Nobody owned a Sega CD here, and people say it's Isn't its here. full name a Sega Mega CD? I don't know. This is a foreign country to me. <laughs> you gotta remember, every single console game I've played, I mostly played through something like ZSNES. <laughs> They're all more or less just a GUI under a PC for me. I do love that you pronounce that ZSNES. No, oh, well, that's, that'll let it start. Alright, it is up next. Probably the best space exploration game of its generation. Is it on the wrong console? I think it got a SNES release. Okay, there goes Master of Orion. (laughs) Yes, it's not Masters of Orion, which I would personally file as a 4X game in space. Space exploration. Yes. See, the most... uh, I know this is going to be coming from my biases. Very high praise coming from me. I know I'm a bit of a snot on this one. Star Control 2? It's Star Control 2. (laughs) (laughs) That that was an easy hint. Sorry. <laughs> is that the sound of Jeb getting out of his chair and leaving in a huff? Because I, I would believe I would deserve that at this point. So this is like playing articulate against two people who are married or siblings or something. It's <laughs> <laughs> that thing we were talking about the other day. Oh, I know. Oh, right. Yes. Hell. That has got to be cheating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no, Star Control 2, which was, of course, brought to you by Frungi. <laughs> Frungi, the sport of kings and queens and many other things. <laughs> 
Which is my OkCupid okay profile name. This is the game with Thradash in it, isn't it? Yes, this is the game with the Thradash going, <laughs> yeah. Arg, 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 arg. <laughs> the violence of Culture 17 was such that we beat ourselves to death with our own legs as a demonstration to the cultures that would come after us. Arg, arg, arg. These guys are the cultural predecessors to Krogan, right? Pretty much. <laughs> I-, I think that it would be very unreasonable to look at Star Control 2 and claim that it didn't influence the Mass Effect universe. It also had blue lesbian space babes, didn't it? It did. <laughs> um, and indeed, uh, the human culture in Star Control 2 had a very poorly handled, but nonetheless, you know, kind of good-intentioned uh, culture of gay people who flew off and left Earth because Earth were dicks. <laughs> wait, wait. Isn't it, there's also, like, a precursor race yep. that monitors the other races to make sure they're not getting too... Uh, the fuck? Mass Effect is straight-up Star Control fan fiction. It pretty much is. You also have a race of... You also have things like one race that is secretly a terraforming project by the precursors. You have um, you have a race of sentient plants that um, their main problem is being motile. There's a lot of stuff that Star Control 2 that directly has lineage to modern space exploration gaming. Are there any are there any space frogs that sing show tunes? There's a distinctly good chance, given how many fucking races there are. I'm briefly at a loss. I'm remembering very vaguely there's an Easter egg where you can find a couple of frogs singing, but I don't remember if that's it. Are they are they are they are they singing Gilbert Sullivan? No. <laughs> though though it does also have Are they singing Hello my baby, hello honey? I'm pretty sure the Umgard do that to you at one point. Ha! But yeah, it, it is it is a very interesting game. You have all the balance points around how characters interact. You have uh, you have a, a good solid linear adventure plot. You have a one of the mo- one of the more cons- concentrated efforts of making alien races behave in a somewhat alien fashion culturally. <laughs> well, they they certainly did more than just rubber mask aliens, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, they did. Um, interestingly, the most rubber mask alien of the whole society, um, like the ones who are most like humans, <laughs> even the blue lesbian space babes. The most rubber mask aliens are the humans. Wow, makes you think. Well, it makes you think. Well, that's basically it. Yeah, in makes in the- you. Th- Context to Star Control <laughs> Two. Jeb think apparently the the uh, like there are the alien the blue alien space babes, but I, I actually put them like a step beyond these because the other ones are the druge and the druge from what we can tell are just basically humans with piggy noses oh, and looks. and they're hypercapitalist. They will buy you druge can throw yeah. crew into the furnace to make the ship go faster. They're literally capitalist pigs. Yes. And moving on, because otherwise this will be me talking about Star Control 2 for all day. <laughs> the upcoming special, listener, enjoy. Yeah. Uh, we have a game franchise sequel that has been keep keeping on since then and generally is regarded as having gone downhill from almost this point, if not a little since. <laughs> Sonic 3. Oh, Sonic CD. And Knuckles. <laughs> No, no, there are a couple of good ones after this one, but generally speaking, this is regarded as one of the high points in the early life of the game. But you are oh. right, it's a Sonic game. So it's Sonic three? CD. It's Sonic 2. Oh. oh, dude, no one thinks that the series went down at 2 instead of at 3. No. For what it's worth, they totally do. You could totally find people who definitely think, oh, it no. all went downhill when they brought that Knuckles in. Bullshit if you can say if you can say one or two people for anything. You can say, yeah. you can find people who think that, yeah, who sure. think that Sonic Adventure 2 is the high point of the series. Come on. 
The point is that... Actually, I've had people seriously argue that it didn't go downhill until after Sonic Adventure 2. Yeah. Until point... after Shadow. My point is that <laughs> this is around the point where the game was hitting a peak. Um, it went downhill yeah. after this point, give or take. No, it went downhill after 3, give or take. That's still it went after downhill now, after Sonic. It went downhill after Sonic Adventure, give or take. Yeah, All right. Kept going. Well, yeah, that is... <laughs> Sonic it Avengers went downhill after Sonic Boom, the cartoon. There was a hill, and it is traveling down it, because that makes you go fast. Anyway. <laughs> Dude, Sonic can go uphill fast as well, as long as you had a big downhill for... <gasps> we cracked the code of the Sonic franchise. <laughs> They're just trying to go downhill so far that they can shoot up an impossible slope at the other end. It's and be... that's how we got the Sonic Boom cartoon. <laughs> it's going to be pretty impressive to see what the Black Knight yielded. <laughs> Oh, and while, while I'm at oh, it, God, Werehog. Oh, God, the medieval fantasy bullshit. Werehog. I just want to say this. I'm I'm Welsh uh, heritage. Were means man. <laughs> yes. If you're a werehog, it means you're a human that turns into a hog. In fact, Sonic is literally already a werehog. He is an anthropomorphized hedgehog. Anyway, who talks about chili dogs to the Black Knight? Because that's cool. Uh, that is a piece of American sonicism that I wish had just vanished forever. Alright, we have what is regarded as being the first survival horror game. Alone in the Dark. Holy shit! <laughs> like that. Yeah, in like Flynn. Yes, Alone in the Dark, which was, you know, good. A game you could play. <laughs> it was kind of like piloting a box kite. I didn't it looked like a box kite. <laughs> So was it 3D right from the start, or was yeah. it 2D? Yes. <laughs> it was... In it 92. Was 3D in 1992. Oh. It was 3D in 1992 <laughs> by a French developer who had access to good background art. So you had hand-drawn and, in some cases, fairly well-painted mm-hmm. backgrounds oh. of bookshelves and whatnot. It's like Final Fantasy VII all over with again. With cubes. <laughs> with, yeah, with a character who looked like a box cart oh. wandering around in front of it. Uh. <laughs> Well, yes, the less said about that, the better, I guess. It was a legitimately interesting franchise. It did a good job of playing with horror themes. I think it made a big mistake in that it went back to Edward Carnby as a protagonist repeatedly. I think that you do a better job with I... with horror. I think you're better off doing anthologies, like yeah. new protagonists every time. Like, I mean, after a guy has done the, you know, whatever, zombie apocalypse or, you know, monsters attack or whatever, and they've done that multiple times, you've got to start thinking, like, they must be over it by now and just... You know, no, I, I can survive this. I've done it before. I've done it like three times before. I'm all right. Yeah. Well, the first one was Cthulhu. The second one was uh, was Undead Pirates. The third and one the was third one Ghost was Cowboys. How are Undead Pirates and Ghost Cowboys not hilarious? Yeah, uh, especially after Cthulhu. Yeah, and I, <laughs> I aim high. Cthulhu. Why don't you? In 1992. Cthulhu was not as played out as it is now. That's true. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, Cthulhu, that's a legitimately scary place. Well, it's it's proper horror, at least. Ghost pirates? <laughs> that's that, that's fucking LeChuck. That's Monkey Island bad guys. That That is not scary. Hmm. Then that you is had, Boy's Own Adventure bad guys. Then you had Ghost Cowboys and... Ghost Cowboys! Native, Native American magic spirit yeah. guides. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. I, I will give Alone in the Dark 3 this. It did have a very interesting section of the game where you get turned into a cat. Oh, I like that. By Native American spirit magic. Oh, god damn it! No. Why would they turn you into a cat? They turn you into something like native. Oh, okay. You're you get turned into a bobcat. Oh. Yeah, but you're basically a cat. You have to solve puzzles with a paw and stuff. <laughs> well, 
one of the Dark 2 had you play as a toddler. Oh, and while I'm at it, Alone in the Dark 3 has a fucking minecart level. Aww. It's a point-and-click adventure game with a minecart level. It's a point-and-click? Yeah. Sort of. Sort of. Tank control, point-and-click kind of thing. Yeah. It, yeah, anyway. The one I played was very, um, it was 3D controls fixed perspective. Yeah. I don't know if it was two or not. That would probably be two. I think it was two. I remember there were two protagonists and one was a girl who looked vaguely like Agent Scully. That's two. Okay. Wait, 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 wait. When you say two protagonists that you choose from? Yeah, you can play a boy or a girl, basically. That's one. Oh, that's my bad. One? Okay. I'm remembering the two, two protagonists you alternate, you alternate between the two uh. in in Alone Dark 2, and the girl well, is a toddler. Um, this is... I only played the demo, so it is entirely possible that whatever I was playing for the demo, they might have gone, which character do you want to play? Alright, so... Well, no, still- in Alone in the Dark 2, the, the second character, the, the girl character, was a toddler. Okay, there's definitely one then. My main recollection of that is that there was a room where... Like, it was a respawning enemy, and it would just, you know, jump up and crash through the window, and it looked like a dog made out of, like... Made out of 3D primitives. Let's put it, it was like cones and balls and... That's... It looked like a Fisher-Price toy. That's alone in the dark. That's alone in the dark one. And kill you. Yeah, that's, uh, that, that's like Ecstatica, which was a game from around this time <laughs> that was trying to do the same sort of horror themes with but nothing but ellipses. Balls. <laughs> everything it was, was literally balls. Everything was connected spheres, and it tried. God bless it, it tried. Grass made out of very elongated spheres. <laughs> No, just do a texture. All right. Still in France for video games. Uh, Another World. Close. It's an exploration platformer. Uh, uh, The other one. Flashback. Yeah! (laughs) Flashback. It was a little bit too late. With Conrad Black, the protagonist, who didn't need a sequel. What were you... Wait, was that that his name? Conrad Black. Was that his last name? Yeah, that's 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 a, that's a, that's a that's a name of dark dark forces here in Canada. Oh my! Is it <laughs> Conrad? Conrad Black is a bad person. Oh dear! In a, he is a, a corrupt politician, corrupt, corrupt politician who uh, did some very horrible things and then became somehow a British lord. Oh jeez! <laughs> no, uh, Conrad Black in the flashback games. Uh, that's why the sequel to Flashback, which came out in like 1995, and we were like, wow, three years for a sequel? What are they doing? That's ages! <laughs> uh, was a over-the-shoulder 3D exploration stealth game called Fade to Black. Fade to Black. I see. Yeah. No, uh, Flashback, which... Oh my god! With a protagonist called Conrad... Ah! Oh, ah! Delphine, you need to have words. Okay, that, uh, when your character's surname is Black, you have now titled a porno. (laughs) That is what Fade to Black is if your character's name is something (laughs) or other Black. (laughs) Well, they are French. (laughs) Point taken. I I will give Fade to Black, sorry, I'll give Flashback this, in that it is a game that does feature the very real feeling of wandering around an unemployment office. It does it really well. Despair. It does it really well. Goodness knows I wanted that in my game experience. (laughs) Also, uh, the PC version of Flashback failed to print in the manual one of the commands you need to actually advance the game. (laughs) You need to be able to do a leaping arc jump at one point, which on the console you just, you know, you hold the buttons and the pad in the right way, but on the PC you actually need to hold uh, one of the seven or nine on the numpad, even if you're not using the numpad to do it. Uh, so it was very possible for PC players that game to just become completely fucking stuck. 
And that oh, was no. just right after the jungle. Yeah. That's a ridiculous piece of design. Good yeah. one, guys. Well, it was a printing error in the manual. Well, it also sounds like a really bad key configuration. Oh, yeah. If it requires a numpad key, even if you're not playing on the numpad. That would have <laughs> fucked me over, I'll tell you what. I never used the numpad for games back then. All right, and now we have a game. This is this is going to pitch straight at Jeb. I'm pretty sure Fox is... <laughs> Fox is going oh, to... Oh, Sid Meier's Oh, totally beat you to it. All right. It's a RPG with text adventure elements. It's too late for a King's Quest. No, oh, King's Quest was being released around here, but it wasn't a King's oh. Quest. Anyway, that would be pitched at me. It was like glory bear elections. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a um, top down RPG. Top down with text nope. text input elements, like you could have conversations with people and type in keywords. Oh, yes, it's of a franchise that persisted after <laughs> this point. It's of a franchise that has an MMO. Is this oh, so Elder Scrolls Arena? No, no. The sequel to this game stripped you from having a party of multiple people to having a party of one. I said Ultima. Was it, it Ultima? Oh, yeah, it's, it's an Ultima, Ultima 7, game. if it's the it's one Ultima 7. right before they yeah. introduced you to one. Yeah. Yeah! Where you can type in, where you can get into a conversation with people and they would have little words highlighted in their text. Yeah. 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 It, it, pretty interesting game. Also one of the first RPGs I ever experienced which had a expansion. Mm-hmm. Usually yeah, usually expansions were reserved for action games, where it was just like, here's more levels. But they did a $15 release of, well, not $15 at the time, but when I bought it, it was 15 bucks. But they did a cheaper release of, like, an extra campaign, and it was wow. a whole bunch of extra stuff. That is, like, unheard of. Yeah. Huh. Oh, well, cool. I also, think I've mentioned this on the show before, but Ultima 8 was, like, my first RPG at all, and I didn't get RPGs at, like, leveling up didn't occur to me. So I just sort of went, I should be able to go and kill things, right? And got horribly mauled again and again and again. Mm-hmm. All right. We have the template for real-time strategy games. Starcraft? Dune. Two. Yeah, Dune 2. The first Dune game was something totally different. Right? Yeah, it was yeah. It was a com- It was basically a visual novel. <laughs> it was a visual novel with management sim elements. So it was a visual novel. Pretty much. <laughs> yeah, uh, Dune 2, uh, where... I will take you to arms that, that uh, Herzog's Vey did yes. before Dune 2. Her- Herzog's Vey was a RTS before Dune 2, but Dune <laughs> 2 is very much where we got the template for... It codified the base-building RP- R- RTS, yeah. the, the yeah. Warcraft style. So that's why I said Starcraft, because I knew it wasn't by any means the first, but I thought maybe it was a codifier in that same way. Yeah. No, 1992 is it too early for Starcraft. Yeah. But no, she yeah, uh, that. Dune 2, made by Westwood, and uh, eventually re-released in 2000 as Dune 2000. 2000. By Westwood, and then Westwood quietly sank beneath the waves. Was that a mistake, or was it a good re-release? It was a good, yeah. That's cool. Uh, and mercifully, they updated the interface, so... To be more like Warcraft. <laughs> yeah, but you could do drag select. That is kind of exactly what you want out of a remake, though. Like, let's let's take the quality of life improvements that have come about since then and just add them to the old version without uh, changing any core elements. All right. Now, this one... This is I'm, probably the only time our podcast is going to mention Herzog's Bay, isn't it? I would really like to do a piece on RTSs in general, in which case we will wind up talking extensively about Herzog's Bay, if but only because it's an amazingly fun... <laughs> piece of random trivia of like what was the first RTS? Well it was probably Herzog's Eye. <laughs> yes. I we could do you guys should probably get someone else to do an RTS special with you <laughs> because that's uh, another genre that I am just fuck awful at. I cannot pay same. attention to that many things at once. <laughs> same. <laughs> uh alright. 
Moving on. It's a franchise creator. It was made effectively by a Nintendo B team at the time. Like they had a smaller budget than everything else. It was on a console that they were reasonably new with. Ow! Kirby. It is indeed a Kirby game. Damn it, Ellie, you stopped me from guessing Kirby and it was right. Yes. Kirby's Dreamland. Kirby is really good and okay. Yes. <laughs> this was this was the place where Kirby all started and the game had the game holds up. He's bashing the mic stand with his tail. Stop making him wag. Come on, move it. <laughs> move your butt. Uh, what was I going to say? I have I talked about Epic Yarn on this show? It is an excellent, excellent game. You talked about it twice, but it's certainly worth talking about it again. Ah, okay. No, seriously, go for it. Well, I don't know that I have anything new to add, just that it, it's super fun and incredibly cute, and Prince Fluff is super great, and... And I've uh, mentioned its weird relationship with difficulty, haven't yes, I? Yes, I was going to say, and it has a, a self-determining difficulty curve, basically. Yeah. You want to play hard mode? Go ahead. All right. All right. Moving on. Two more. Interestingly, uh, Kirby's was it? You said Kirby's Dreamland. It was yes on the Game Boy. Yep, that's the Kirby game that doesn't that that doesn't have the main Kirby mechanic of all things. Yeah, you don't get to swallow people. Huh. You I do, but so you don't get powers. Game. You don't get powers. Right. Kirby doesn't have additional powers in the original game. Yeah, he's he just, just a... sucked in blue. <laughs> Also true of Epic Yarn. Yeah. Coincidentally. So Epic Yarn in a lot well, of ways yeah, is spiritual. You can occasionally Epic transform Yarn, into a train yeah. or something. <laughs> but you do not steal powers from opponents at any point, and you cannot swallow anything. All right. Like anything. Except apples in a cutscene. Let, let's see how hard I can make this one. All right. <laughs> Super, Super Mario World. No. Let's not make it too hard. I need to pee. It's a revenge fantasy video game. Uh, all of them. It's a technical achievement by a small team. Ah, Bubsy. It was <laughs> Bubsy is of course a revenge fantasy. Uh, it was made by a development team under contract to a shareware developer. It has recently been reskinned and right. re-released on Steam. Right. Rise oh, the Triad. Say Doom. But... You, you, Fox has the right team. Jeb has the right engine. Shadow Warrior. No. So it's it. earlier. It's id. Yes. Fuck, what else did they do? That was a revenge fantasy. Yeah, Commander Keen's not a revenge fantasy. No, it's not Commander Keen, but Commander Keen is related to the protagonist of this game. Uh, oh, Wolfenstein. Uh, Wolfenstein 3D! Yeah, Commander Keen is a distant descendant of BJ Blazkowicz. Yep, which means that Billy uh, Billy Blaze is Jewish. Is that Commander Keen's real name? Yep. Oh, I thought he was a Blazkowicz as well. He goes by Blaze. I don't know if he's possibly going by a, a, an altered version of it. it. It's known to happen. But yeah, I, I actually wound up doing this um, in a research paper about two years ago now about how we often talk about the idea of American primacy in video games. But if you look at the iconic arc of the of the first-person shooters and the best-selling ones, they're almost always about um, members of minority cultures having some form of revenge fantasy. It isn't until very recently that that's changed. Often within America, though. I mean, yeah. pretty sure those guys were definitively Jewish American. Yeah. Still, it it, uh, it also tracked to 1970s. It, it's <laughs> like a, there's a 10-year delay kind of thing going on with movies of the time. Oh, yeah. Anyway. All right. <clears throat> now, here, here's the big gimme of the episode from 1992. <laughs> Wait, bigger than Alone in the Darkness? Bigger than Sonic 2? It's a JRPG. Final Fantasy V. There we go. <laughs> See that I honestly couldn't have picked because I have no idea when the earlier Final Fantasies came out. Ah, sorry, no Final Fantasy V, 1992. So that that That's year, all right. I'm not saying it's bad. That year also had in a slightly more obscure pair of games, which I wasn't going to throw out there because go for sure it. That, oh, go I mean, for it. 
Yeah, go on, quiz us a little. All right, let's see. It's the Mario and Sonic killer of the Amiga. The Amiga. Um, it had a franchise tie-in. Sorry, not a franchise. It had a uh, um, a brand tie-in. Oh, no, wait. Uh, cool Spot wasn't on the Amiga. No, no. Dizzy? Not Cool Spot, not Dizzy. But you are in the right mental mode, that kind Jet of platform. Set Willy? Nope. Uh, fucking... One word name. Um, 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 uh... The name was chosen to show up in the last of a list of BBS downloads, so the name starts with a letter that's late in the alphabet. Zool! 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 I Zool was on the Amiga. Yeah. He was also on the Mega Drive, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. And, and a number of other consoles. He was on, like, every console. It was yep. unusual for but the he was time. the best selling. he was the best-selling Amiga game. Wait a minute, what was he a mascot for? Chuppa Chups. Really? Chuppa Chups. That guy. All the way through those levels, Chuppa Chup branding. Huh. The lollipop. Oh, there you go. Yeah. See, I suppose we can blame Cool Spot for this. That's pretty friggin' obscure, though. Also, SNK released Art of Fighting that year. Oh, yeah. That uh, was the predecessor to King of Fighters, right? Yeah. And it was also the year that Wario first showed up in a video game. <laughs> so, Super Mario Land 2. Yes. A potentious year. About I would have got that because I played that game a whole bunch. Yeah, about which I wouldn't have been able to say all that much. I don't know that game that well, so. I... I am a person with a very small group of friends. I, I have a limited monkey sphere. Um, but occasionally I do wish I had more friends, and it is for one reason, because <laughs> I would love to play WarioWare touched with a big party group. I'm <laughs> slightly pissed. Anyway, I think that's pretty uh, Super good. Mario Land, Super Mario Land 2 is actually really nice looking for a game. And it has really high detailed sprites. Oh, that's cool. Which is a thing that kind of happens whenever Wario is involved in a game. The sprite <laughs> oh, yeah? work is exceptionally good. The the uh, the Wario Land Virtual Boy game, the Virtual Boy game, <laughs> has incredibly detailed sprite work. So you think on the like... Virtual Boy? <laughs> you think there's like specifically people on Team Wario, and not necessarily <laughs> the other mainline teams, who uh, you know just one of them is like Sprite Ace or something? Well, I mean, well, look at uh, did they call it Shake It or Shake Dimension over yonder? Uh, I believe it was Shake It. I think Shake It, yeah. Have you seen the animation on that? I have seen the sprites in most of the Wario games, actually, and they're all... Uh, sorry, most of the WarioWare games, actually, and they're all lovely. <laughs> really nicely done. They, they, I'm talking about the Wario Land uh, Shake It. Oh, I'm it's thinking done, of a different the, thing, then. It's done by uh, the company that did the cutscenes the, the, for... I want to say Nino Cooney. Oh, wow. Oh. Well, no, uh, certainly I have not. Um, I think there was a warrior like, where that was I named think, similarly uh, to that, wasn't there? I think, uh, I think, like, it's a studio of former, uh, Studio Ghibli employees, and they did the animations for the Wii Wario game. Bloody hell. Huh. It's amazing. <laughs> Yeah, talk about being spoiled. <laughs> Can we get them on doing something else? I mean, I'm not saying Wario shouldn't be nicely animated, but, you know, there are other things I'd like to see get more, uh, more dedicated artwork. One well, I do, other. I do like, I do like Wario being used for, for, uh, Nintendo's 2D platformers. Because I, the I, way he interacts with the environment is kind of, it's kind of nice. <laughs> Well, I, I'm not saying I have anything against Wario, but, you know, visually there are other things I would pick to see beautifully <laughs> animated before Wario. It is all I'm saying. <laughs> now, one other thing that came out in 1992 that didn't get into the list because I couldn't meaningfully, like, it wouldn't be a competition, Jeb would just automatically get it. 
like if anyone, Jim, what is it? Quick! If anyone in this Missed. conversation, was, if anyone in this conversation was going to get it, it wouldn't be Fox because championship manager is just not on your radar at all. I certainly didn't know it had been around that long. Yeah, and oh, I don't yeah. even know if Jeb is necessarily a huge championship manager fan. It's just 1992 is when it happened. Wow! I didn't start playing uh, championship manager until 2000. Okay. You know, I do remember playing a Greyhound racer sim around that time. Huh. Which, you know, it was a very shallow game. It was just buy dogs, race dogs, make monies. Um, mm-hmm. But it was fun because you got to give them all stupid racing names. And that kept me entertained for hours. <laughs> Beautiful. That's it for the Downloadable Concept Podcast. Until next week, that's been Fox. That's been Talon. And that's been Jeb. Stay tuned next week when uh, I will be informing Talon of how he's playing Final Fantasy V Raw. <laughs> <laughs> Spoiler, every possible way. Snake. 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 Snake.